The mostly excellent governor of Florida got a lot of plaudits recently for telling some kids to take off their masks. I have a slightly different take on it. But first, I heard a story on NPR that you just need to hear. We'll start there on this week's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing could be I find the story so interesting because people changing their minds is so unbelievably rare. When it does happen on anything, it gets my attention. I will share it with you in just a moment. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Amongst many other things, I get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings in Greenville, and you are invited any given Sunday morning. We'd love to have you. As I've mentioned to you before, I listen to WHRT. Often in the mornings, I'll get some top-of-the-hour news from NPR. I try to switch up my podcast game constantly so I'm not ever sounding like anyone else, and I I like to get various and sundry sources on things. I have a a good friend—actually, I have like three good friends—who listen to Al Mohler's The Briefing every morning, and I'm about to say something anathema. I find him largely boring, but I'm currently on a cycle— of listening to Al Mohler's The Briefing. And it's a good, it's one good way to get news, but there's lots of different ways, and I think it's important to have various voices speaking in because most media is entertainment, and uh, they just want you to listen. They're not trying to make you smarter. Anyway, I listen to NBR. It's one of, it's one of the ones I like. I, it has a metropolitan and some, somewhat left-of-center view of, of everything, but it's, it's, it's all often fair. And so I heard this, heard this story, that I'm going to play for you, and it's it's interesting in two ways. One, it is a story about, in part, people changing their minds, and I am always intrigued by those stories. I, I have, obviously, very set-in-stone positions on most things, and in part, sometimes my positions on something that the set-in-stone position is, I don't really have a position. I actually don't know, and it's not it's not important that I know. I don't have to be totally uh, sure of myself on this given thing. But in my own life, I've gone through some real transitions. I grew up on a very different version of being a Christian, of being a Baptist, than I am now. I I grew up, I'll give you just a very short version of this because I want to get to the story. Let's just do three or four examples. I was recently having a conversation with uh, some friends about camp meetings. If your church participates in camp meetings, I'm not criticizing you, but I grew up in a system that was largely influenced by a guy named Charles Finney, where the idea was bring a bunch of churches together, put them outdoors in a tent, and stand on, what's that stuff called? Sawdust? It's not sawdust. But you stand on whatever surface that is, you sing some songs very loudly, and one of the things you will notice is lots of shouting and yelling, and maybe running across chairs or pews, and uh, let's to say the least, I would not be in an environment I'd be comf- comfortable in now. You could. I grew up uh, thinking Calvinists were probably heretics, and now I am one. I grew up thinking that what what was happening in the geographic area of Israel was significant to my life and to the world, and I don't think that at all anymore. That I don't think it has any bearing on the on on what's happening in world history regarding whether or not Jesus is going to return. I find people that change their minds to have compelling stories. And so, you're about to hear a story primarily about parents, mostly in the North, 
who are changing their minds in a political way because of how their kids are treated in school regarding COVID policies. I'll start and stop as we go. This is from NPR's Susan Davis. Suburban Connecticut moms like Amelia Fogarty and Caroline Montero could be the Democratic Party's worst nightmare this year. Born and raised a Democrat, Fogarty switched parties and plans to vote Republican this November. I mean, just start there. Who switches parties? There's probably like 10 people who have done it, and we just found one of them. Republican this November. It's cost her friendships and strained some family ties. It's been really sad and very isolating, but I have stuck to my guns because I just, I feel very strongly in my heart that I know that this is not right. This is mask mandates that until this week required their children to wear masks at school. Montero, a self-described independent moderate and occasional voter, is hyper-engaged in politics for the first time in her life. Before she speaks, consider that, consider that experience is being focused on in just two women here. But that experience is more broad. And, and while it's an interesting to hear people change their minds, this is also significant for us just to understand the world around us and how a lot of people have taken in the last couple years, in particularly parents, and how it affected their kids. We have someone who has switched parties, but we also have someone next who was largely just unengaged. That's the that's the plurality of Americans, not the majority. The plurality of Americans are just largely unengaged. They just want to live their lives, be comfortable, have enough stuff, have good experiences. They don't particularly care what's happening in their local, state, or national governments. But you have the last couple years seeming to show folks changing their minds mostly in one direction, and then the activation of people previously unactivated. We had one of the highest vaccination rates in the state and kids were getting vaccinated and everyone was doing what they were told to do and then nothing was changing and people were getting frustrated. They are part of a rising political tide of parents advocating for mass choice in schools that would leave it up to parents to decide if their kids should wear a mask. That view went against the Centers for Disease Control, which just last week rolled back guidelines calling for universal masking in schools for kids age two and up. When they tried to talk to their local elected officials about possibly easing the mandate, they felt ignored by Democrats. And I would say ignored is generous. Isn't it true that those with that position saying, hey, I'm the parent, you're not. I'd like to make a decision for my kid, not you. It's not just that they were ignored. They were chastised, looked down upon. They were they were heartless uncompassionate. I'm skipping ahead a little bit here in the story so we can get through it this segment. But 20% of liberals and over a third of moderates in the same poll said it should be optional. Republicans have advocated more than Democrats to roll back COVID-related mandates. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell recently declared the GOP the party of parents on the Senate floor. It's at least interesting to note in our, let me do it this way, some politics 101 for everybody. There is, in every country, interest groups, and interest groups align with any given party. In our country, unfortunately, we only have two, and so you've got uh, military hawkish types. They will align with, uh, align with Republicans, generally. Traditional values people tend to align with, align with Republicans. Social government program people tend to align with Democrats, but for the most part, if we split the country into like 15 interest groups, you can largely see where they, uh, where they align. What is interesting in human history is when a new interest group comes along. 
it's so rare that it happens. And in a country that largely stopped having children, like we are talk about it all the time, our fertility rate is unbelievably low. In a country that stopped having children, parents are now a subgroup, and how you treat their kids is often going to be the most important thing about you regarding their vote. Republicans at the local, state, and federal level are standing with the parents. We're going to keep fighting against these disruptions to family life caused by rules and mandates that are not at all based in science. Veteran Republican strategist Liesl Hickey says mass mandates are just one part of why angry parents will be a critical voting block in what she believes will be a red tsunami come November. There is a horrific child mental health crisis. There is severe learning loss. And there's this just general disruption of children's precious childhood. I was talking months ago, probably years ago, we are choosing ourselves over our children. And healthy societies do not do that. Healthy societies will risk the adults for the sake of their children. And now, folks who you would typically not think of as aligned with me are coming around to that. And that's very good for our kids. Now, that red tsunami thing, I'm not quite ready to make my prediction. This is what I used to do, right? I used to do way more politics. It's just exhausting and a dumb part of our world. I don't do it as much anymore. I started looking at the map recently because I was just interested. And I'm not ready to make the full prediction, but I'm leaning towards a probably 35-seat swing. It could be more than that. I don't think about it's a, I don't think it's a red tsunami coming, but it's a pretty big wave. 35 seats, which would make Nancy Pelosi no longer Speaker of the House. And she's like a thousand years. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's very rude. Um, she is elderly, and that likely would mean she's gone from Congress. So that's cool. And what else? Oh, I probably four Senate seats, which would put. Republicans in, uh, in charge of the Senate. That's a good check and balance. We need that in our governments. Back to the story. And parents are looking for someone to hold accountable. I mean, parents have a long memory when it comes to how their children have been treated. Ooh, that's powerful. And I know it to be true, especially like s- Southern moms, I've noticed. If you do something that their kid, if you do something to negatively affect their kid, they will hold that grudge and they do not forget. Lifelong Democrat Justin Spiro doesn't have kids, but he works with them as a social worker at a New York City high school. He says the mask mandate took a toll on his students. He was furious when Democrats in the New York State Senate recently blocked a Republican bill to roll it back. Maybe there's no politician for me, right? Maybe I need to write someone in. I guess if there was a more centrist candidate or party, that might be the way for me to go. I love hearing that stuff from any side. I love hearing there is no candidate for me. I don't belong with these two. Man, if we could get a critical mass of people to land there, it'd be very helpful. Top Democrats see the warning signs. New York Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney is running House Democrats' campaign operation. On MSNBC, he cheered his Democratic governor's recent decision to end mask mandates for businesses. New York's school mask mandate was lifted this week. We as Democrats should not be, out of some sense of correctness, falling in love with with mandates when they're not necessary. Oh, it's so, I, I'll admit, I have elation at hearing some of these things out of some sense of being correct. Yes, for a lot of folks. Uh, actually, what? Was it the Babylon Bee? Yeah, Babylon Bee had a headline. If you don't know, Babylon Bee is a parody site, so they do, they do fake news, but it's obviously fake news, like it's comedy. In, uh, in lieu of masking, 
I can't remember how they said it. Maybe it was leftist. I don't know how they. I don't remember how they said it. They said, in lieu of masking, leftists will start wearing T-shirts that just say, "I'm a good person," because as I've talked about, that was part of what was happening there. Not all. Let's be clear. But for some folks, that was a big part of it. Especially the people making the rules. They were the ones saying, "Do this to be a good person." We should get rid of them as quickly as we responsibly can. With the pandemic entering its third year, parents like Debbie are exhausted by it all. She's a mom of two and lives in suburban Seattle. She asked NPR not to use her last name so she could speak candidly about her political views. Her family has diligently followed COVID protocols, like wearing masks, throughout the pandemic. It's like you either made the sacrifices and other people didn't, or you didn't make the sacrifices and other people are expecting you to. And everyone is just tired of feeling like they're on the wrong side of something. A lifelong Democrat, Debbie told NPR she considers herself an independent now. That doesn't mean I've become more conservative. What that means is I am so appalled <laughs> at how the Democrats are performing. I don't think I could even be a part of it anymore. I'm just- Debbie doesn't believe many parents like her will vote Republican this year. She believes it's more likely they just won't vote. And if you've learned anything from the Cora Act show about political things, well, I hope one of them is this. Elections are turnout enterprises. You don't win people over typically. That's why, one of the reasons this is so intriguing to me. It's not necessarily winning people over to another side. There, there was some of that. You heard some of that, which is crazy. It's, it's crazy to hear someone say, I fundamentally have changed some, some part of my ideology or my affiliations. But what this... Let me say it, uh, I'll summarize it this way. The response to this virus was so, now people are finding, was so overwrought, it is changing minds largely in one direction, deactivating folks on the left, and then activating people in the middle. And I, let me just say, I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm never happy when Republicans win elections. But the folks who made all these rules, it, 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 feels, it feels like some kind, of, some kind of justice. Good. It's good to see what might be coming. When we come back, I have one more thing somewhat related to this, but it, uh, and that's Governor DeSantis from Florida telling those kids to take off the masks. Uh, we'll talk about that, but that's going to lead to a bigger story when we return for the rest of the Corey Act show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Last week, the very popular amongst at least conservative circles, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, was doing some kind of press conference. As he approached the podium, there were college students there, young college students, all wearing masks. And he somewhat aggressively, actually kind of really aggressively, said, you don't have to wear those, take those off. And then he, he changed his language, but the tone was the same. You do, you do what you want to, but it, it's ridiculous. We got to stop this COVID theater, and he got a lot of plaudits for it. But I have a slightly different take. I want to give you. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Find me Corey Truax on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I hope you will. You can also email the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail dot com. Corey Truax Show at gmail dot com. Here's I think my gen- my general take. I'm put off by aggressive people. I'm put I'm put off by any interaction where someone is being needlessly rude, needlessly mean, needlessly aggressive. If you can communicate kindly, 
communicate kindly. I, I often know these are the people, the people that are easily bothered and they'll let their bo- how much they're bothered show. I just know, I don't think we're going to be friends. I could only candle your presence so much. Because it's not hard to be courteous. It's just not hard to talk nicely to one another. And that that's what I, I was so turned off by. His tone was so aggressive and mean to folks who are probably 18, 19, 20, 21. And there are commentators who are saying, well, he did say you could do whatever you want. Yeah, as he berated them. Now, I think he's right. And if he could redo it, if I could do it, it would be, hey, guys, man, you do whatever you want. I'm just telling you, if you're wearing those for my purpose, you can take those off. You do what you're comfortable with. I might, I probably would even say, it's those are cloth masks. They're they're not really doing anything for you. So if you're scared, I'm, I'm telling you, what you're doing right now doesn't even really help you. But you do what you want, okay? Cool, we're going to get started. And I might even express, I would prefer that the folks behind me, so we can present to those watching that we are getting back to normal, I would prefer it, but you guys do what you want. That would go a lot better. In part two, like, we are talking about college students, but they also, I couldn't even believe they were college students. They looked quite young. But you could still be talking about 18, 19, 20-year-olds in their parents' household. Like, don't parent other people's kids. I mean, that'll get my, that'll get my ire up when I, when I see it happen. Someone trying to parent somewhat, someone else's kid. In most cases. In some cases, I've noticed. Parents won't parent their kids. And then some adult has to do something because they refuse to parent their kids. So I, I think I was, I was largely put off by the, uh, the level of aggression. And then there's a thing, or at least an issue there, about spheres of authority, spheres of sovereignty. Hey, you don't have the right to tell my kid what to do. I don't care that you're your governor. You can ask them. I have an aversion generally just being to told being told what to do. There's something deep in me. I'm, I'm not saying this is healthy. I don't even like it when I go through a drive-thru and a person says, drive around for your total. Something in me goes, don't tell me what to do. You can say, please. I'm not, you I can't be told what to do. I'll be free. I'm an American. Like, that's my attitude. Now that interaction, as I was watching people largely adulate the governor of Florida for this needless aggression while thinking he was correct but needlessly aggressive, it made me realize something else. This is theological in nature. I recently saw a meme that made many claims about someone you probably have heard about or know about. His name is Doug Wilson. He has pastored or is pastored, I can't remember, out west, I think in Montana somewhere. And he's got a fairly large YouTube following. He's he's a significant figure in Christian media. And I saw a meme about him that made many allegations about plagiarism and a scandal, scandalous past in his pastoring and one other thing. I can't remember what the allegations were. And because I largely am put off by Doug Wilson, I could feel it in myself. I wanted to believe it all because Doug Wilson often acts like what the governor of Florida acted like. I just think needless, needlessly aggressive. I just want to like look at him sometimes and go, Hey man, you're a lot. Like, can you, pu- can you pull back any, can you take your foot off the accelerator any and not come into the room hot all the time? 
you know, I guess since sometimes I've been watching him a little bit more lately, he has a lighter side, but I, I don't think I'm the only one. I think a lot of us are put off by that aggressiveness. I'm coming back to my point about that meme. Like It's why I can't handle James White. He's another pretty big figure now in Christian media, has a g- large talk show, a lot bigger than mine, a big YouTube following. I find he's very popular amongst the younger guy set. But he's just, he just comes across as furious 24 7. Like my, I think about my, my level of anger, which I, it can get pretty high. But my anger is often a good 10 seconds. And then I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm going to process that now and move on with my life because I'm not a child and I can't hold on to my temper tantrum. I, I see anger as a, emotion that should be like a fire it runs out of fuel and you stop being angry but he seems to just not just walks around angry most of the time and I'm put off by that I'm getting to a lesson here so two lessons one is that meme I, th- I saw myself immediately hey you generally don't like that guy and for a terrible reason in your heart you want it to be true that he's a plagiarist and he has got a scandalous past and so I put that into uh, our good friends over at the Westminster Doxology Podcast put it into their Facebook group, their Facebook lounge, and got some good resources and found out apparently none of that was true. But, but one lesson I wanted to give you there is your and my bias for or against a person certainly colors our intake of information. And we got to be careful about it. I needed to be careful about that, not to just assume the thing I wanted to be true was true and actually go investigate. And specifically when it comes to the internet, I can't tell you how much my immediate reaction, like my very childish brain, you know, without, without the, uh, the maturity, I wanted to click share so bad. Like, let's, let's spread this gossip around. And you know, the Holy Spirit does a good work at that moment and says, hey, hey, you have no idea if that's true. Why would you share it? So take that in your personal life. When you get information, when there's gossip a-flying about somebody you don't like, let's slow down before we share it. I think there's a proverb that goes something like, uh, every side of the story seems truthful until you hear the other side. So you get someone's side of the story, and you, you, you assume it's credible, and then you just find out from the other person they're talking about a different side of the story, and you go, oh, it's... It's quite complicated. So that's one. One thing I, I, I just learned last week in myself that I want to warn us all about. But the number two thing is our presentation. I, I was put off by Ron DeSantis, and I don't think a lot of, I think a, a lot of people are like me. We don't like rancor. Maybe activists like it. Maybe it's good for some hits on the internet. But largely... We just think, man, that person's a jerk, and we move on. When I think about my aversion to a Doug Wilson and a James White, I know that I've said it on the show before, we, we all need, we need these people. We need them all. We need all different kinds of communicators. Different people take different information different ways. But there is some, some wisdom to our general mode of operation being another proverb. A soft answer turns away wrath. Sometimes our answers don't need to be soft. Sometimes it's worth having wrath. I mentioned this quote before. That is, uh, da, da, da. yeah, I think 
it's from First Night. I feel like this is one of my fa- my big brother's favorite quotes. He's, uh, the quote is, there's a peace worth having on the other side of war. And what I want to respond to that quote, and I believe that, there are some things that it's if you have peace and you gave up a cardinal doctrine to get peace, if you have peace but you gave up something fundamental to the truth, then that's not a peace worth having. I don't want that peace. I'd rather have war. But I also want to temper that quote with, there's also some peace worth having before war, guys. Not everything has to be war. There's a lot that, yeah, there's a lot in that category, but we don't have to war all the time. We can just try the best we can to live peaceably. I learned about myself listening to James White. I'm just put off by authority that is wielded but unearned. There's, there's, there's an authority he seems to think he has over, I don't know, all of doctrine or something. Like, hey man, I know you're smart. You haven't, you're not my boss, all right? I mean, you're not, you're not other pastors' authority. So I, I even try to say it this way. I'm not, I'm not saying everyone should be like me. I am saying there's some wisdom in the soft answer turns away wrath thing. When I present topics to you often, I try to say things like, my thinking is, or where I am is, and then fill in the blank. <laughs> but, man, it, it, it turns, it, it rubs me wrong to just hear someone say, this is how it is. What? Who, how did you get so much authority? And Now, granted, there's places for it. There is. This is the word of the Lord. When we, when we preach, when we're coming from Scripture, we are, we are declaring there is an objective truth and we're not sorry. But not everything is like that. Not everything is so declarative. And it, we got to know that. People, there's, there's more than just me, guys. I think I'm probably the normal one who looks at people who communicate with just declarations of authority, declarations of correctness when it actually is a disputed topic. We look at it and go, I don't even really actually want to interact with you. You've already told me the thing is true. All right, so I, obviously I can't change your mind. I can't find any nuance. I can't find any balance. You've ended the conversation the way you started it. And that's what I find watching some of those guys. You're not looking to have any discussion. You're just looking to declare what is true and walk away. Okay. Just telling you, it does, there may be the soft answer, turn away wrath thing. There's also the old Southern, you catch more flies with, was it sugar than water or something, something like that? And if what I mean by catching flies is, you can have better conversations. People will be more open to hearing you by not behaving in those ways. There are times for aggression. There are times to declare. But not every time. Hear from Ecclesiastes in that. There's a time for everything. A season for everything. For some of us, we should hear, there's a time for me to calm down and not be aggressive. And then for people like me, there's a time to not be calm. There's a time to fire away. And as we, that's the beauty of the church, as we all have each other, we can balance each other out and communicate all the various truths that need to be communicated. You know, that actually, something occurred to me there. I opened with the, a story about how I was turned off by 
the Ron DeSantis too aggressively for no reason talking to teenagers or people in their early 20s. But it was also in the last week that he can show the balance, the the time where it's appropriate and probably needed to be a little more a little more testy, a little bit more aggressive. And that'll lead right into what I want to talk about next. Hey, I accidentally found a segue. That's how you know you're getting broadcast skills is when you accidentally do the right thing. Here's the story, my transition story. Ron DeSantis was at a press conference. He got a question from a reporter about what the reporter called the, quote, don't say gay bill in Florida. So when a reporter is using partisan language, that's that's a... It's obviously a problem and something to call out because the, the bill's not actually called the Don't Say Gay Bill. That's choosing a side in the question. He's choosing what side he's on by calling it what the leftists and the secularists dubbed it. That would have been like asking uh, Bill Clinton back in the day, like in 93, when they were trying to do that health care thing, if when asking the question, a reporter would have said, let me ask you about Hillary care. Well, that's because, of course, it's partisan because folks on the right had dubbed it as a marketing ploy, Hillary Care, to scare to scare everybody from it, as they should have been scared of it, or at least to oppose it. And so Ron DeSantis went back at him kind of testy. And that's a good time to do it. When someone is openly showing themselves to, to be to be in oppos- to be in opposition, doing so deceptively and dishonestly, and, and also someone of power, like consider the two audiences there, the first one he's talking to, college students who are in their late teens, early 20s, versus a professional who's actually coming at him. Well, you know what? That's a good time. That might, hey, you know, sometimes even in balance, there are times to respond to aggression with calm. I, I was recently in a situation where uh, there's a bunch of people involved and what that situation needed was de-escalating. It's one of my skills I can get I can get into a situation and get everybody to bring down the temperature. The consequences of what's happening here are quite fleeting. We don't have to escalate. Everything can be brought down. So there's there are times to respond to aggression, even with trying to dissuade, but not all, not every time. Especially as DeSantis had with that person, he was needing to respond to lies and deception, which brings me to the thing I wanted to say very quickly here, as Florida has passed a bill that's been dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill. I want my people, you, to be equipped to respond to that lie when it comes up on the internet. The bill says, in its actual language, that matters of gender and sexuality need to be discussed with an age-appropriate ways for uh, for K-5, first grade, second grade, and third grade. That is five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds. And do you know the appropriate amount to talk about gender and sexuality with five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds? It's almost zero. You're not, they're not there yet. I don't think I had any real talk with my parents even about any kind of sexuality until I was, I was probably 10 or 11 when my dad gave me some kind of talk, the and th- that's my dad, not a government employee. I hate to call teachers government employees because they're they're great. I like teachers, but ultimately that's what that's what the bill says. Hey, government employees, don't t- don't talk to our kids 
about deeply ethical, moral, spiritual, philosophical things, something very important, sexuality and how we view genders and male and female. This is stuff that belongs to parents. It doesn't belong to the government. It's not under their purview. In particular, the folks who, who oppose this bill, I would just like to say, guys, that's kind of creepy. You're fighting for the right of a government employee to talk to a six-year-old about gayness, about sexuality, about sex itself. I think you're the weirdos here. You are deeply invested in making sure something that's not even in the curriculum for that age group, you're deeply invested in knowing that a random adult not related to the child can talk to the child, the seven-year-old, about sex. I think you're... That is creepy behavior. What else do you call that? Like that's, That's like predatory, sexually predatory behavior. And that's what you want. Man, if some rando, random adult in their 30s came up to your kid and started talking to your six-year-old about sexuality, you wouldn't just want to get your kid away from that person. You'd want that person punished by the law because what they did was grooming behavior. And I got a group of people very upset that government employees can't talk to five-year-olds about LGBT issues. Yeah, you guys are creepy. That's super creepy. And that's to to clarify what the, quote, don't say gay bill, end quote, is. Uh, People are lying about it, and uh, we should be people of the truth. When we come back, there is a controversy brewing about one politician's 11-point plan that he says to rescue America. I just kind of want to go through it, see what kind of ideas are there, and talk through some of those details. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. There's a small skirmish brewing on the American right, and it's about ideas. I love ideas, and to uh, analyze them, so we're going to do that together here on the Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax, or email the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. I won't give you much of the skirmish, because that's actually kind of boring to me, that there are politicians that are fighting over whether or not these are good ideas. I like to just examine the ideas, but here's the minimum information that you need. A senator from Florida, Rick Scott, former governor of Florida, put together an 11-point plan to rescue America. I already don't like the sound of rescue. Like, uh, there's only one rescue, right? There's a one-point plan to rescue America, and that is for the church to come alive and spread the gospel, right? But maybe it's like a five-point plan. It's like spread the gospel, love your spouse, raise your kids, get in church, Stop buying too much stuff. I don't. There's maybe a couple other things, but it's all going to work out of. It's all going to work out of gospel-driven, Christ-centered solutions. Now I'm in live on well live recording. I am thinking I should have come up with my own eleven-point plan to rescue America. And number one would be repent and believe. Number two, find a local church. Number three, find a spouse, love him or her faithfully. Have some kids. Four, if you can, if that's what the Lord wants. Five, I'm doing this on the fly now. Five, be productive in your ministry or job as a good example to those around you. Six, say hi to your neighbors. Knock on the door, bring them a gift basket. Just tell them you wanted to get to know them. Seven, don't drive slow in the left lane. Eight, 
Uh, what other things can you do? Pray. I should have started with that. That should have been like number two. Pray consistently. Nine. I think I'm on nine. Get in the word with regularity. Ten. Stop paying attention to so much entertainment that the world gives. Don't You don't have to leave it all out. Go see the Batman. Watch an NFL game. Do Enjoy. The Lord gives us time to enjoy. But get more biblical teaching in front of you. And 11, I don't know, watch what you eat and live healthier. All right, that's my 11-point plan. That's my 11-point plan to save America. But let's take a look at Rick Scotts, the senator from Florida. Number one, he says education. Here's his plank. Our kids will say the Pledge of Allegiance, salute the flag, learn that America is a great country, and choose the school that best fits them. Okay, um, fine. Oh, that's fine. That's uh, that's true. I mean, we shouldn't be teaching our we should teach our kids all of American history. But if you do teach all of American history, you will come away with the impression it's a pretty cool place. As I'm talking to you right now, I just came from my parents' house where we prayed over to say goodbye for about ten days, two weeks, whatever it is, to my father, my brother-in-law, and the excellent Wayne Wooten, a a man in our church who are, who's going to the Ivory Coast where I was born to encourage some churches there to equip them to do some ministry. And I know one of the things that all three of those men, when they come back, they're going to know, this place is awesome. America is great as compared to the state of being, the state of living around the world. So yeah, we should celebrate uh, in schools, tell kids, yeah, America is a great country that has flaws. And I don't know anything more. There's very few things as popular across racial and ideological age lines than school choice. People with kids tend to love school choice. Teachers' unions tend to, tend to hate it, but it's very popular. So that's his number one. All right, that's that's good. Yeah, let's do that for the country. Number two, a colorblind equality. Here's what he says. Government will never again ask American citizens to disclose their race, ethnicity, or skin color on any government form. Uh, he says, we're all made in the image of God. That's good stuff. Now, I can see what he's doing there. Just as an example, if you remember in the... COVID relief bill, there was a program for minority farmers only. The only people who shouldn't apply are white dudes to get help from that program. That's one of the ways that that would be worked out, but he's making a larger statement that your government should not be dealing with you one way or the other based on race. And I, yeah, I agree. That's, that's true. Uh, three for, for him, safety and crime. This is becoming a real deal thing. I hate that it is. We, our cities are turning into something that looks like uh, goth. It's like it's like Gotham in some of these places. He says, uh, "Let's refund and respect the police because they, not the criminals, are the good guys." Uh, hold on. One thing we should never do is think in groups. There's no such thing as the police. There's no such thing as the protesters. There's no such thing as white people. There's no such thing as Christians, Muslims. There's only you, the individual. And so there are some great great cops. They're not always the good guys. They are the, the institution is set up by by governments who've been instituted uh, and endorsed the concept endorsed by God himself, taught and commanded. But his general I should get back to the point here. We we do need a surge in policing. I, I think, again, I played it, played it last week. Joe Biden saying in that State of the Union, 
the answer's not to defund the police tells me we're all there. Number four, here's one that some of you, some of you that I like a lot, will tell me I'm wrong about. He says, we will secure our border and finish building the wall and name it after President Donald Trump. My gosh. Wow, that's, wow, that's stupid. Let's build the wall. We'll call it the Trump wall. Great. That's a good memorial. So uh, immigration, talking about that real quick uh, and examining the idea. I'm a really high immigration guy. I'd like to have a lot of it. I'd like it for it to be easy and cheaper. But to make that work, you do have to have a secure border. As in, no one gets in here that we don't know. We're, we're going to have a selective process of bringing people in. It's not just anybody and everybody. It's a process that we set up. So, for, so from the time I was into this stuff, back in 01, I have advocated for an absolute stone-cold, hard border. No one gets in, except through the proper process. That's a good, I think that's good and smart. It's also, if you think I'm wrong about this, call me out. I think it's also biblical. The idea of sovereign nations can be found as early as Genesis 11 or 10, with the t- wherever that is, with the table of nations. The idea of one world-ism is at least criticized and diminished by the Tower of Babel story. There is a, a dis- there is a design of God that there would be diverse tribes, tongues, and nations so that by, by that diversity all being unified in him, he gets glory. It's a good thing that there's a bunch of different cultures, and it's good that they thrive on their own and don't all meld together and start to look like one big thing. It's good that they're distinct, and as the Lord will be glorified and that he is, he is universally applied to all of them. So we need separate nations. We need secure borders. I believe that's a, and I think I'm right. You can, again, Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com if you think I'm wrong. The, the biblical worldview would say separate nations, secure borders, and then immigration is permitted and government should figure it out on their own what their immigration policies should be from country to country. Number five from him, we will grow America's economy, starve Washington's economy, and stop socialism. That's a great idea. He says that socialism is un-American and we will stop it. He has, I heard this idea, I think it was from Malcolm Gladwell once, one of the more interesting thinkers there is. One of the planks of this says, we will sell government buildings and assets to help pay down the debt. I can't, re- this yeah, this is a Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell idea. He talked about selling things like the Brooklyn Bridge and the George Washington Bridge in and out of New York City. Selling them to companies and corporations, so like they have naming rights. It'd be like the Microsoft Bridge, and then Microsoft's gonna advertise its stuff. Uh, he talked about selling the uh, selling the naming rights to things that tourists go see. Like instead of it being the Hoover Dam, it's like it's it's the Twitter Dam, and you go get uh, any you can put you know tweets on the Hoover Dam, get a big projector. It's an interesting idea. It's a very interesting uh, financial idea is sell your assets to private companies as to bring down the debt. I'm not, I can't tell, can't tell you I'm not intrigued by it. I like new and creative ideas. Number six on this 11 point plan to rescue America. It says we'll eliminate all federal programs that can be done locally and enact term limits for federal officials. So, Hey, we talked about that a lot on this show. 
the government that's best for you is the one that's closest to you, the one that most reflects the community around you. My old illustration goes well here. It is odd that we expect the same government to be able to govern effectively Manhattan and Fargo, North Dakota. It's odd that we assume all the same laws that work in San Jose, California should be the ones in Greenville, South Carolina. We have a very large and different country. And trying to impose on one another from one city, Washington, D.C., is in large part what causes our rancor. So the idea of bringing government and governance closer, even on programs like welfare programs, things that are necessary, doing that locally would be better. And term limits are one of the most popular things amongst the American people. It's, it shouldn't be surprising to me. But, I mean, I, again, I've been into this for over 20 years. And term limits get talked about all the time. It's every, every election cycle, someone talks about it, and no one ever actually does it. I mean, consider right now. I, was, who was I? I can't remember who I was talking to about this recently. But it's, it's not a good thing that the leadership of the, of the country is the following ages. I think Joe Biden is 82. I think Nancy Pelosi is at 80. I think she's 80. Mitch McConnell's in his 80s, and so is Chuck Schumer. Schumer actually might be the youngest. I think he's like 79. It's not good that we are being run by the elderly, but it's also not good that when you add up their lives, they've all been in that city for like 30 and 40 years each. Like, when you put them all together, I think it was like 150 years of Washington experience. They shouldn't be able to be there that long. None of them None of them should. And that's a, that's a, good, uh, a good plank for this one. This is the one that gets on, my, gets on my nerves a little bit. Number seven is fair, fraud-free elections. And the, uh, the plank says, we will protect the integrity of American democracy and stop the left-wing efforts to rig elections. Oh, man. We have one of the best and most secure election systems in the world. It's got its flaws. But if you look, if you look around the world and compare our system to others, we have actually have a really, a really secure one. I know that you're, you're, uh, there are voices on Fox and there's voices throughout the Internet that tell you what I'm saying is a lie. They, have, they do not have the, the argument for that. So I'm not a fan of that one. Uh, number eight, I can't believe this is near the bottom of his list of 11. Number eight, we will protect, defend, and promote the American family at all costs. Now, I want to read a little bit more here on this one to suss this out. He says, the nuclear family is crucial to civilization. Stop there, that's true. The fundamental unit for healthy peoples throughout human history are fathers, mothers, and children. All of neighborhoods and then towns and cities and counties and states, all of that is built on families. Okay? Uh, so what does he say next? It's God's design for humanity. It, must, it should be protected and celebrated. Yes, that's all true. Now, he says uh, there are some folks who seek to devalue and redefine the family as they undermine parents and attempt to replace them with government programs. All that's true. We've been talking about that for 50 years, that the federal government came along and made it possible for a dad to abandon his family, and then just the federal government comes along and plays the provider role. Now, I got to ask, what's the role of government in that? So specifically here, 
there is no, he has no policy proposal. There's no specific thing to give you. He just says, family's important and we should protect it. Okay, what's that mean? How do you want to do that? Uh, number nine, it's called gender, life, and science. So this is the one, uh, very easy. It says, men are men, women are women, and unborn babies are babies. We believe in science. This, he has some Bible in here too. He talks about the Bible saying, male and female, he created them. I think that one's a fairly popular one and one that does not need my commentary, seeing I have less than two minutes left. Uh, number 10, religious liberty in big tech. He says, Americans will be free to welcome God into all aspects of their lives, and we will stop all government efforts to deny our religious freedom and freedom of speech. I think what he's talking about here when he says religious liberty in big tech is some censorship problems. There's a show I used to listen to more regularly called Wretched Radio, I think. And they were given like a one-year ban on Facebook for saying something quite anodyne, just normal Christian thinking. And when you think about some normal Christian thinking are things like men are men, women are women. Marriage really is between one man and one woman. Whatever else you're doing, it's not real. That's, that's a fake thing the government created, but it's not actually marriage. That's the kind of stuff that very soon might get you suspended and banned from social media. And so I'm, I think he's talking about regulating platforms to make sure people can say those types of things. Which again, that's, that is government regulation. I don't know that I'm a, a fan of telling Facebook that it can't kick me off. If it, wants to, if it wants to kick us all off because we say Christian things, I guess they have the power to do that and alienate a bunch of people. And the last one here is, we are Americans, not globalists. Yeah, I get that. I mean, we are, it is in every nation's interest to first represent their own interests, uh, but also we have found over the last, let's go 50 years, that having a global presence is quite uh, quite important. It's been quite beneficial to us. So in all, it seems to be a good one. I had more thoughts on that. I'll try to get back to those maybe next week or do some bonus content. We're out of time. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Track Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.